Hello, world, and thank you for joining me today. This is Shelley Shearer, and you are listening to the podcast Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, where if I've experienced it, I'm going to share it with you. If I've learned it, I'm going to tell you about it, and always some education along the way. Good morning, world. Shelley Shearer here, and happy Halloween. Yes, it's October 31st. And uh, Halloween's kind of a big deal in our household. My husband, Christmas is my deal. My husband is all over the Halloween. And for my regular listeners, you know that we're doing a renovation right now. And that means that our entrance to the home that we'll live in day to day is on a different level. And what's very nice about it actually is the people that had done the gardens in this home. It's this beautiful aggregate walkway that sort of winds up to our new front door. Well, we've been living in the bottom of the home since we've lived here and renters have always just been upstairs so we've renovated and are are turning that into our home but where that helps my husband is he now can block off the side driveway that goes up to the basement or the lower level of the house and he's going to do that and when you come up the other driveway and up this walkway he's got this long expanse of room with lights because our yard is all uh, underlit and he's got power out in the yard. Previous people put these power stations all in where he's plugged in spotlights everywhere. So now from the road, and I'm sorry, I'm just giggling to myself because you just it's just something you've got to see. He's certainly not movie um, FX quality, but I do have to say he's, he's pretty imaginative. So he has got right from the road in the cedar trees, in the garden, walking up the driveway, into our steps, the cedar... Um, ones that are in the pots as you're just entering onto my walkway it is halloween from the road to the doorstep and it's like it's literally almost like running a um uh and the word just left my head (laughs) sorry Uh, nope it left my brain regardless he's got something for the little kids but there's a lot of kind of scary stuff out there a couple of years back at a discount place he bought these two life-size medusas you know, with the snakes coming out of the hair. Now, thank heavens they were broken because these items were like $350 and he got them for 50 bucks because they didn't move anymore. And apparently they are supposed to. Well, thank heavens, because let me tell you, when he's got those snuck around a tree with a big spotlight on them, they're freaky enough. Okay, the little kids actually, when they were smaller, there's kids that didn't actually want to come to our front door. I'm like, honey, that's sort of not the point. We're not supposed to scare them off. We're supposed to give them a good time. One of these days, I've just, I say to myself, I'm going to have to get in the coffin with the body coming out of it, you know? But again, they're quite expensive. And I just, I keep thinking at the end of the season, I'll go check out Halloween Spirit or whatever the stores are, Spirit of Halloween, to see if I can get one on clearance. But he does have the plastic corpses that crawl out of the ground he's got those all stuck in behind a graveyard he's got a strobe light going upstairs now we have no furniture upstairs yet in fact today the painters are putting the final coat of paint on the walls and the baseboards and the doors so it's just going to be like a fume heaven up there and he is bound to determine that this halloween regardless of of us not quite being in the new place halloween is at the new door (laughs) so that's our fun around here right now and i do kind of have to laugh at him because he's having a great time. Uh, on that note, just as something that came up in today's uh, meditation book, in the fact that something important is is always happening. There is always, there's never a time when nothing is happening. And it's just something you might want to be aware of. Uh, now in this home, there's just been way too much happening lately, as, as I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks. And 
I want to give you some new stuff to think about this week for kind of like your homework maybe to ponder. But there's never nothing happening. Even if you feel stuck or dissatisfied where your life is at right now or you're in transition, you know, it doesn't matter what quadrant of the chaos cycle you're in, whether you're contemplating or planning or resting or, or in action mode, there's always something going on. The hard part for us as little human beings running around down here is that we're always trying to figure it out. We always want to know what's going to happen next. But you know what? When we see everything too soon, it's easy to let our heads get in the way. And I've spoken on this in numerous times about sort of getting in touch with your heart and your head and your soul and just being really clear on, you know, whether your ego is running everything and your mind just never shuts up or whether you're, you know, getting a little more in tune with your emotions and your intuition and how you're approaching the world. But this, unfortunately, is what happens when we know too much, then right out of the gate, our intuition takes a, a back door again. It steps back and says, oh, the ego and my brain are just running overtime. They're just in charge again. And we don't want that. We want things to unfold and the magic and the learning and the growing to occur while we're on the journey. Okay? So I do have to laugh when I tell the story about my husband because right now he's, despite the fact that the last couple of weeks have been really tough with the reno and a lot of work for us. In fact, I literally physically crashed yesterday, was in so much pain, but we've just, we worked right through the weekend, but he, he pulled it, he pulled it together and stepped back. I went and did the errands on Sunday and he decorated to say, you know what, this path we're on right now, we're not quite done yet, but I'm going to live in the moment and I'm going to thoroughly enjoy the opportunity available to me. And I was so proud of him. Because the kids will have a great time and our neighborhood is really big on Halloween. So it'll be a really fun evening tonight. And it's not raining. It's just spectacular sunshine out there today. So open your heart to the universe. Trust that something is always happening. And often it's much different and probably better than you think. So that was today's little uh, meditation quote. But what I want to talk to you about today is a book I have just finished. And I found it fascinating. The book is called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. He's actually a Canadian uh, author. I realized at the end of the book, the book was recommended to me uh, in my coaching Facebook group. Someone said, hey, who's looking for a book and try this out? Excuse me. But when I, I listened to the audiobook, by the way, if you are a person that likes growth, you own a business, you are... Anything in your life that you are trying to, you know, achieve more or be better or are on a path, get yourself an Audible subscription for 12 or 13 bucks a month. Audible is a ebook app that goes on your phone and with your subscription every month, you get one free book. So you pay your $12 or change, whatever it is, and you get a book every month with that. You earn a point that's, that's you know, you can get a, almost a, sometimes up to a $35 book depending on the price of them. And then you can get other stuff on sale. So I get a new book every month. And I've talked about a couple here on the podcast. This was my latest one. And actually, I'm really looking forward to next month. There's two books I'm, I've been waiting for. And one of them, believe it or not, is the classic Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. I have not read that since my 20s. I refer to it. I'm you know familiar with it. But I'm so enjoying the audible experience, the auditory um, of being in a car and just have that focus. It's just my time that I'd love to hear it narrated 
and I'd loved it. And I have got a copy where it's narrated by Napoleon Hill himself. And I'm very excited to listen to that again. But Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell really got me thinking because I like to know. In the world of sacred gifts, I have a gift of knowledge. And what that means is, one, I love to learn and learn things, but I also, the other it, thing that makes it a sacred gift is that I share that knowledge. Podcasting is a perfect example of my gift of knowledge. There's nothing that I don't experience or learn really that I don't share with you as an audience. Because that to me is just, that's just lifeblood for me. I love it. Well, when books make me think, even if you don't agree with everything you hear or read, open your mind to new ideas. I love hearing about history as well. I'm not always focused on the forward. I'm a huge fan of the past, learning from our mistakes, mistakes, understanding where we come from. Well, how this book sort of got started, and it's actually called The Key to Success, I realized at the end when Malcolm gave his personal interview with with an interviewee, he he uh, actually is the um, uh, sorry is the one ta- uh, er- uh, narrating the book, and he's got a lovely voice, so he's very easy to listen to. And I realized at the end that it actually was him, and in, in the interview, he was the one speaking, and he was talking about how owing success is about going back to those moments in time that perhaps changed a course, not only just for ourselves, but our families, or something that was happening in history. So I really, I find history quite fascinating. It was one of my loves when I was in uh, high school and university. Just, and when I travel, I love to see the history, to know where people came from, how we've changed. And one of the things Malcolm talks about, for instance, the very first story he tells is the story of Bill Gates. And it was interesting because in the interview at the end of the book, he was talking about how he never even got into any of Bill Gates' story after the age of 21 or 22 years of age. He didn't care about that. What he was looking for was that, that opportunity, the surrounding, what's the word I'm looking for? The surrounding um, circumstances, that's a good one that supported him at a time in life that allowed him to become the success and and entrepreneur and and amazing man and company that he built today. What was that? And he did this kind of for the same thing for um, Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, and Bill, what's the other fellow's name? He's the one that wrote the code. And I think Sun Microsystems was was his company. All of these men were a very specific age, came from very specific backgrounds, and had access to computers at a time when nobody else did. So for instance, let me tell you a little story about Bill Gates, which I found quite fascinating. I love the history where people always say, you know, Bill Gates started Microsoft in his parents' garage. Well, you know, everyone always thinks that's a ragged as rich story. And actually, there's a good point. This is one of the myths that Malcolm is trying to debunk. Now, it is much more prevalent in the United States than it is in Canada. But the United States, they, the they love the rags to riches story that, you know, anybody can come here. Anybody can have these opportunities. And in fact, what Malcolm's trying to do in this book is to not just debunk that, but prove how actually harmful that mentality can be. And actually, once I listened to his book, I completely concur with him. It really actually is quite fascinating how there are very specific things in history often that write our path. Now for Bill Gates at the age of 12 or 13, 
first of all, his parents were wealthy, okay? So the garage story is, is a little misleading. Yes, he was in his parents' garage, but his parents' garage was a multi-million dollar house on by uh, next to the Washington University down in Seattle on uh, Lake, I don't think it's Lake Washington, it's in the Kirkland area. I have a girlfriend that lives there and I've driven, I've actually been on a boat and gone past the estate, the, the newer one, but his parents were lawyers and were quite wealthy. <clears throat> definitely, definitely upper class. So he had some great advantages, which also meant he was in a private school, if memory serves me right. What was unique about that school is the mothers got together in the PAC, the Parent Advisory Council, and raised money, $2,000, uh, at some fundraiser, dance, something or another. And someone was convinced to buy a terminal for the, for the brand new emerging computer market in that school. So do you see the huge advantage? All of a sudden you've got a 12 year old who has access to a computer and that's where it all started apparently. He just fell in love with this. That's where the stuff started in the garage because him and his buddy, uh, <laughs> I really got to make better notes, Paul Allen, sorry, who was his partner at the beginning. They spent hours and hours and all their spare time on this thing. Then something else happened along the way where they got access to a computer at uh, the University of Washington. Apparently it was a what they call a standalone terminal hooked to a larger server. Now remember, this is 19, six, late 1960s, okay? People didn't have computers. This was new technology and they were worth thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. But for some reason, um, from one event after another, these kids got access to a computer in their school. Then they got that, the interest was peaked. They got access to a computer at the University of Washington. And I hate to say this, but it was between two and 4 a.m. or something strange like that. And Bill and, and Paul would sneak out of the house and go to the university. They had a key card. Uh, some professors said they could do this and worked there. Well, then by the time they're teenagers, some local company needed to change software for their payroll and believe it or not someone recommended him for the job says you know what these kids know how to code this like they've been doing this for five years and there weren't a lot of people that knew how to do that so they were hired to do this writing code at the age of 16 or 17 years of age it was all just this i think when uh, when when malcolm goes through the end of it and, and the um, amazing advantages that he had, I do believe there was nine. Nine very significant things that are the reason that Bill Gates is the man he is today. Now, is he brilliant? Of course. Did he have a gift? Of course. But if you look into things like the science of, of, of um, not perfection, but being a, an artist at something or being a master of it, They've proven that for you to be a master of something, take something like 10,000 hours. Well, that is held true for a lot of studies in sociology and psychology and, and such. These kids had that. By the time he went to university, he more than had those hours under his belt. He lived, breathed in computers, this computer systems since he was 12 years of age. So could he have done that if he was born 10 years later, 10 years earlier? to a poor family, to a place other than Washington, which is, you know, on the West coast of the United States, just above Silicon Valley, where everything that was like the birthplace of, you know, that entire age, the answer is probably no. 
So when we look at ourselves and our opportunities, that's why, just a bit of a segue, I've always said to our kids, and not just my own, I only have one, but I have nieces and nephews and a lot of children in my life. I always say to them, you must be prepared for opportunities because when they come knocking, they don't issue an invitation. You don't know necessarily in advance. So if you are a person that is you know, not getting a great education, not making an effort to learn, putting yourself into debt, when opportunities come a calling, you will be in a position where you have to say, no, I, I can't afford that or I'm not, I'm not able to do that. Where that shouldn't be the case, opportunities are literally almost like little miracles and you want to be in the best position in your life possible to take advantage of it. And here is a perfect example of my life. When I met my husband, who I'm married to today, we've been together 18 years. I was in my mid thirties, but I had already spent the good five years of my early thirties really getting myself into a good financial position and looking for opportunities. I was looking for new housing. I was looking for an investment property and I was a single mom. Okay guys. So this is the point I want to tell you. I was a single mom self-employed. And I'd already got my, now my twenties were rough. I'm not going to lie. They were a huge learning experience, made a lot of mistakes. I was a bit of a headache to my family. I was a single mom, which was very embarrassing for them. They're very big Christians and, and very religious people. I was disowned, disowned by my family a couple of times. I had a business that failed, a second business that failed. There were lots of mistakes, but by the time I hit 30, I, my, I'd really turned my life around a lot. My awareness was so much broader and my need to know and to learn and to be in a better position and to do more. When I say do more, my parents helped me buy my first little townhouse. So when, when my ex-husband, who I married very young and was just far too young, and I got divorced after two years and had I had a two and a half year old son or three year old son on my own, they helped me purchase a place. And that gave me a leg up. I wasn't living in poverty or in a grungy basement suite. I had a certain standard of life that although I could afford to maintain it, I certainly wasn't the one that initially put up that money. My, this was my parents' way of helping me. So I had a, you know, whereas I was a single parent, I was living in a townhouse that actually housed a lot of families. You know, two working parents were affording to live there and I lived there as a single parent. So I had a certain expectation in my life. I. I had, by the time I was in my 30s, I started developing friendships that were actually above me. When I say above me, people that were more financially affluent than myself, perhaps mostly more educated, because you, I'd already learned the lesson that you become very similar to the five people that you surround yourself with, your closest in your life. So if you look around your life and you're, you're a loser and all your friends are losers, that's, that's where you are. You need to change that dynamic somewhat. So you have to make a decision, how do I want to live? Okay, and not listen to all the negativity and not be the lowest common denominator. So I was very fortunate in the fact that during this time, although I was engaged in my, in my late 20s to a very abusive man and had him arrested for assault, he was a catalyst to a huge change in my life. He brought into my life two people that changed everything for me. One of them, especially, who's still one of my best friends today. These people were, you know, 16 years older than I was, but they had a child later in life. So our children grew, ended up growing up together, almost like siblings. 
and you know we're still all aunts and uncles to each other today but they were just that further ahead in life had owned businesses had owned homes were very successful both of them were very well educated and they raised my bar they brought me into their life and mentored me and raised my bar another was a very dear friend that actually i know this seems a little odd was engaged to this similar this same man before me and she was an amazing dynamic strong woman and we became friends because when he hit me for the first time, I phoned her to say, this has happened, did this happen to you? Because up until this point, her and I had a very rocky relationship because she was, you know, I was the next one in line and, you know, it was just, it was just a bit uncomfortable. Well, no, she figured if I was brave enough to phone her, she was brave enough to come for lunch. And that friendship is, is alive and well today. And her daughter calls me Annie Shelley. Okay. And she's a teenager. She's almost grown now. So these relationships have been going on for, you know, 25 years. That was a huge turning point in my life. I quit listening to my family who everything was just, my dad, as much as he is a wonderful man and did very well in his life, he's very sexist and women should just get married and have babies. So although there was a part of the lip service that you know we should could do anything, he didn't truly believe we could. I wasn't allowed to work in the trucking company. He truly didn't believe that, that women should go out and, and own businesses and be that way. I mean, we're talking in the early 80s, late 70s. So. C'est la vie. So I quit listening to that nonsense and surrounded myself with this new group of people and that changed everything in my life. Now back to Bill Gates. This is what Malcolm was speaking of as well. These very, very successful Silicon Valley people were born at a very specific time in history. Uh, we're in a situation, especially in the States. Canada's a little different. We do not have the segregated education system that they have in the States. Most everyone goes to public school and our public schools are amazing and our colleges and universities, we're not all vying to put our kids in private schools and, you know, there's bad universities and good universities. There are a few that are really quite top notch, but we have a, a much even more even social system here in this country and our education system is amazing. In fact, I have a young man here from Brazil. Uh, we are host parents for the first time this year and he's in our school system and he just finds it fascinating that he's in a public school and getting a better education than he does in his private school at home. So, and, and same thing listening to my future daughter-in-law that's still in South Africa. Um, she's the principal of a, of a very elite daycare, uh, preschool, sorry, preschool. And again, you pay to have those types of education. So I have a slightly different perspective being a Canadian, but in the States, in this story for Bill and, and the other IT guys, is they are in areas that are more affluent, have better schools. They are born in the right time frame to be teenagers during the advent of, of the computer age or the home computer age. This is the really thing that's different. Computers have been around, but they were at NASA, okay, or large government facilities. These gentlemen are going to come of age and become multi-billionaires in the age of the personal computing revolution, okay? So it was very fascinating listening to these statistics. And like I say, Malcolm did absolutely nothing and talked about him at all past the age of like 21 when he went into university, he didn't care. He became a multimillionaire, he created Microsoft, blah, 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 everyone knows the rest. But he was so, he wanted to focus on the, the outliers, the, the people that have these very unique opportunities. He also does this huge thing on um, professional sports. And that one, read the book, listen to the book, he'll give you that whole analogy. But where I wanted to get to was the end of his book where he talks about, he added one chapter at the end that was about his personal life. 
and his history, how you know he is living in Canada, he is educated, his mother was educated, uh, was a, pro a professor or, or an author? He's an author. Sorry, I can't quite remember. Doesn't matter, these people are upper middle class people living in Canada in beautiful homes, good educations. But three generations ago where they came from was Jamaica and they have colored people in their background. Now, back in those days, colored people of the mulatto were black and whites that were, that were intermingling. Now, Jamaica was very unique in the fact that Jamaica, in case you didn't know this about your history, is a, has got a very, very sad history. The whites came in with plantations and brought slave labor with them. So slavery was huge. But the blacks are not native to Jamaica. We all relate that, but they actually are not. There is an indigenous species of humans that actually are, part, are were in Jamaica before that. But our history and what we sort of know and what we see is that Jamaicans are black. Well, they weren't originally. They were brought in as slaves to work on white plantations. However, Unlike other countries in the world, especially the United States, where there was no emancipation, I think I've got that word right, there was no freedom for blacks. In Jamaica, that, it, that was different. Um, almost all the black, white landowners took black mistresses. And once they had children that were lighter in skin and colored, it rose them up in the hierarchy of the social standing in the community. Isn't that strange? To the fact that 100 years later, Although the lawyers and the very, very high-end professional people might be white, the majority, the government and all the people in influence are colored. Okay, I have colored backgrounds. Because that's what happened. They had this bizarre, to me a little bizarre, understanding that the lighter, it's just so racist. All of it is so sad and pathetic. It's so gross. But this is our history and it's a matter of studying it. They had a system that... If you, the lighter you got in skin, it didn't matter that you had the black in your background, the lighter your skin got, the more, the, the higher you got to be on the job scale, the more opportunities you got, la, 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 la. Well, this was the case with Malcolm's ancestors. So his grandmother, who was a very smart and wise woman, um, put things, they were teachers, but they were still, she was quite dark skinned, so she was still considered, you know, a way lower uh, caste, but her girls were lighter, and then the next generation was lighter, and they worked their way up through this what we would call in today's society, just this awful system. But that opportunity wasn't available anywhere else on the planet in that day and age, in the 19th century. Okay? That's the point he was trying to make. If in three generations, all these really unique cultural things hadn't happened, plus, I think it was his grandmother went and got a loan from a local Chinese grocer that was very odd. She didn't... The, the uh, uh, sort of schooling system came into place during one of these historical monumental moments in, in her, his history. So his grandparents, great grandmother and, and great aunt got educated. They won scholarships. Then someone loaned the money to go to university when only one got in in England. And there's a quite apparently quite a large Chinese population in Jamaica. I actually did not know that. And they, back then, they controlled all the stores, very much like they still do today, actually, in the commerce end of things. All these little things, then coming to England, then marrying someone and emigrating to Canada, have made him the man he is today, including, he said, when he wrote that chapter and went through his mother's whole history of the things that gave them those opportunities and made sure that they were still you know, not a hundred years of, of abject poverty and slavery. He noticed in his own life, just like my story with meeting my ex-fiance and the friends he introduced me to, 
he had the same opportunity. He grew up in rural Ontario, so farm country, you know, not necessarily the height of society and the classiest of people and the most educated were farmers. Okay. These are rural type people. He had two schoolmates that he just happened to be best friends with. He made friends with them in grade one. They are still his friends today. One is the an editor at the New York Times and one is sitting on a the bench or something in the, for some reason, they're both in the States. Amazing. But they came from families that were just a little bit more educated, just a little higher in class. And, and so he hung with those boys and raised his bar as well was the point he was trying to make. He surrounded, he was lucky enough to meet these two men that stayed with him his whole life. And so it never occurred to him not to strive. Was he bright? Of course, but lots of people are bright. In fact, that's a huge thing he talks about in his book how success is often, if we take a few steps back, a series of, of events or opportunities or t mo mo moments in time. And they've done some amazing studies in the academic system in around the world and are really taking close looks at these things now, how we are actually letting a lot of brilliance and a lot of talent fall by the wayside because of how we do things in North America. And he tells this amazing story of someone when they did this whole like the IQ test was a huge deal in the 50s and 60s and that sort of, you know, testing of students by IQ and specialty schools and scholarships. There was just a lot of research apparently back then around these types of uh, tests. And they identified this man and he's part of the book and he's a huge part of the story. They figured he was at that particular time in life, the most brilliant man on the planet. But what they discovered in his study was that you don't always have to be the smartest to be successful. You just have to be smart enough. Because there comes a point when heritage, lifestyle, opportunities, things that make you the person that you are and the way you think, they become a bigger factor. You can take someone with an IQ of 150 and 200 and they could both end up very much at the end at the same spot. The higher IQ is not doing that much better in life because of other factors. And so it was very fascinating. In fact, this man ended up in poverty. He had things that went so wrong in his life. Instead of opportunities, everything was a roadblock. Had a mother that was in, couldn't, you know, abject poverty, didn't speak up for herself. He lost a scholarship. She forgot to send it in the form. Then something else went wrong and a boss wouldn't let him commute to go to school. And they kicked him out of the school. Just really things that you listen to the book and you go, how ignorant and ridiculous is that in today's day and age? But you have to realize this was 50, 60 years ago. And these were very serious and very real obstacles. And those things can change a person's course in life. So here's this man, more brilliant than Einstein, just living on a farm, right? I think he's in rural Iowa. And he's never made money. He's never been rich. He's never invented the cure for cancer. Because everything in his life, but he's been studied by people, so he's, he's known now, was, was a, a situation where it stopped him from getting where he needed to go. So I realize I'm, I'm kind of a little all over the map here with this podcast, but what I want to encourage you to think about is opportunities and the past. So this week, I want you to ponder on things in your life that were stepping stones or uh a corner that you turned, an opportunity that changed your direction and be aware of that knowledge so you can live in the moment 
and look forward to the future to see if you can create more of those opportunities, take advantage of them when they arrive versus having to let them pass you by. Okay. Mine, like I say, I was very fortunate. My father ended up meeting someone in his life. He made a good impression on a Jewish businessman and he started a company that gave our family, my dad has a grade nine education. We were upper class, middle class people. We were upper middle class people, sorry. So I had opportunity for good schools in Canada, education, and my father owned his own business. So right out of the gate by the time I was a, before I was a teenager, I understood what an entrepreneur was. And then unfortunately the issues with my family that drove us apart where they disowned me, made me stand on my own two feet and not rely on them. My sister still lives under the umbrella of my parents to this day. They live right next to each other. They work in the same business. She's never stepped out of that, the, that bubble she likes to call it. But that changed everything for me. And then in my late twenties, meeting someone, these two friends that changed the direction of my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial life forever. Okay. Just things to think about. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for joining me here today. And if you subscribe to my podcast, you won't miss a thing. Remember to focus on not living in regret. You can reach me on Twitter at livingwell8 or email me at livingwellwithshell at gmail.com. Let me know what you liked best about today's podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or leave me a message on something you'd like me to speak on next. Have a great day, everyone.